in this church. Amen. That's what he desires of us. Hallelujah, Lord. We give you praise, Lord. Everything we are, God, we give it to you.
above all names, Jesus. Hallelujah, Lord. Let's give him praise in this place. Oh, Lord, you're worthy. You are worthy, God. You are worthy, Lord. I will bless the Lord at all times, at all times. Yes, I will bless the Lord. Oh, I will bless the Lord at all times, at all times. Yes, I will bless you, Lord. Your praise will.
Psalm 34, verse 1, 2, and 3 says, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise will always be on my lips. My soul will boast in the Lord. Let the afflicted hear and rejoice. Glorify the Lord with me. Let us exalt his name together. You know, we're in a season of spring and everything has a season. You don't plant certain things before others. It's a season to honor graduates. But when it comes to blessing the Lord, glorifying him, worshiping him at all times, whether things are going great today or today's a difficult day for you, whatever it might be, bless the Lord at all times. Isn't that great news? We're so glad to see you today. So glad that you're here. And uh, let's just take a few minutes and greet each other, but God bless you this morning. Well, good morning. Glad you got to go around and see people. Maybe you hadn't seen them all week or a couple weeks. Who knows? But uh, if you are our guest today, we would greatly appreciate it if you would grab the Connect card in the seat back in front of you. If you'd complete that, bring it to our guest services table out in the lobby um, and uh, just turn that into them. They have a gift for you. That would be a huge help to us, and we would, again, greatly appreciate it. As the ushers prepare, we're going to receive this morning's tithes and offerings. How many have ever heard the story of the feeding of the 5,000? How many have ever heard that? Yeah, every, most people, even if you're not a, a church person or a, pr- a person who grew up in church or a Christian, you might have heard of that. Well, here's the, the story in, math, in John chapter 6. And uh, they're realizing all these people are here. And Jesus says, where can we buy bread to feed all these people? And he was testing Philip, for he already knew what he was going to do. And Philip replied, If we work for months, we wouldn't have enough money to feed them. But then Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, spoke up. There's a young boy here with five barley loaves and two fish. But what what good is that in this huge crowd? And I think sometimes we think of that, uh, oftentimes in our our giving. We think, well, what what will my giving, how will that make a difference? And the, the, the reality is, is... Uh, when, when it was said that we'd have to work months and months to be able to pay for this, it's never going to be able to happen. But when you take and trust your resources with God, he can do things that we just can't do. That's just how it is. And so as we give today, remember that, that as we give in faith, believing that God's going to take it and do uh, incredible things with it, uh, he will. Lord, thank you for this moment. Thank you for the privilege the opportunity to give, to worship you in this way. And I pray that you would take this offering, God, that you would multiply it to reach people, to impact people's lives. We love you and we say thank you for this moment in Jesus' name. Amen.
things to be aware of in your bulletin today. Children's worker recertifications. So if you, um, if you have already been working with kids and you're getting recertified June 4th, which is in two weeks, make sure you're aware of that. That's happening in the morning after, um, uh, in the service, excuse me, after the morning service in the chapel down the other end of the building. Also, uh, workers for new workers will be the 7th, which is a Wednesday night at 7 p.m. Wednesday's a good time. People, you're, you're done with work. You can get out here. So if you've been wanting to work with kids, you need to go through this training, and it'll be available June 7th. Uh, youth, hey, we got some save the date stuff. Uh, check those out. But something super important, two weeks from today, if your middle school or high school student is going to camp, the balance of 184 is due two weeks from today, June 4th. So make sure you're aware of that. You've been getting my emails. Some of you, you might ask me a question on occasion. Um, and honestly, a lot of times, just check your email. It's, it's probably there. Um, and uh, anyway, so that's some stuff coming up. Hey, I have, we have some graduates. How many remember when you graduated from high school? Anybody remember? Okay, excellent. I'm going to hold all my comments to myself. I'm not going to say anything about that. But uh, this is an exciting time of year because we recognize our graduates. And I have a list here of high school graduates, and then I'm going to read a list of our college graduates. Um, and so if, if, uh, if, you, if I call out your name, just stand where you are. I'm not going to make you come down. I'm not going to make you give a speech or anything like that. But just stand to your feet where you are. That would be great. Uh, Annika Allen, Artaya Broom, Ani, sorry. 
Callie File, Kylie Maston, Ben Mongare, Hope Fate, Caitlin Vivakis. And uh, hold your applause for a moment. We're going to pray for them, actually. And then for college and technical graduates, we've got Kayla Flanagan, Caroline King, William King, Michelle Ojo, and Megan Walters. Yeah, let's all of them stand if you would. That would be fantastic. Give them a hand. And uh, do not sit down because we want to pray for you. We want to pray for you. Would you join me in prayer? Lord, I thank you. Uh, for these that are standing today. And I know some of them couldn't make it uh, today for various reasons, but I pray a blessing on them. God, uh, your word says that the end of a matter is better than the beginning. Lord, anybody can start things, but so many people never finish. And Lord, we're so grateful for the perseverance, for the diligence uh, that these, uh, these young men and young women have, have shown and displayed. And we pray that the days ahead for them, that we pray, you'd, we pray you'd make crooked places straight, rough places smooth. God, let the path you have for them, let the plans that you have for them be made clear enough to take their next steps. Lord, let them be a light I mean, a true light wherever they go. Bless them. Provide for every need that they have. Keep them strong, not only in their body, but in their spirit. Lord, I just thank you for them today. I thank you for the vital part that they are here of Praise Assembly. And we pray your very best on them today in the mighty and faithful name of Jesus. And everyone said, Amen. Amen. For our high school grads, we have a gift for you, for you, which we'll give you a little bit later on. But make sure you don't leave the building without getting that. And for those high school grads that are here, um, about 10 minutes after service concludes, we'll be meeting in the lobby and we're going to be going to celebrate together. So don't forget that. And I'd like to ask uh, Sherry Lipscomb to come. She has a presentation that she's going to make in regards to women's ministry. Good morning. So I'm here to announce um, this year's Woman of the Year. But first, I'd like to say how grateful we are for all the ladies of praise um, who come out and, and do things for others in so many ways. We are so very blessed as a church for our ladies. Thank you, ladies, all of you, for everything that you do. This year, year's Woman of the Year is a mother of three. She's a great cook and always gives good advice. Um, she has been part of Praise for many, many years, and it is my privilege to announce this year's 2023 Woman of the Year, Sade Ojo. Sade, can you join me up here, please? <laughs> Uh-oh. <laughs> Sade has been very active in the women's ministry. Um, she has been cooking for us. <laughs> um, even last month on her birthday, she cooked for all the ladies. That was really, really sweet. <laughs> um, she has helped with Convoy of Hope. She has been teaching our girls' ministry for years. 
Um, she is a true Proverbs 31 woman, and I really appreciate her and everything that you do here at Praise. Yeah, did you want to? Okay. Well, thank you. Thank you so much. God bless. <laughs> we do have a collage out um, that'll be out in the lo lobby for all you ladies. If you could sign it, um, it's a a picture collage of her. So, um, and it's always nice to give them that. Um, as well as a card. And this summer, our ladies are going to meet uh, during the summer, um, the second Saturday of each month, um, but we're going to have prayer and a light breakfast. So put your prayer needs out there. We have a website, Praise Assembly has a website, where you can um, actually put your prayer needs there. And um, Charlene is able to get those. And we will pray over your needs, so whatever they are. And we're, we're going to do that every month for the next um, three months. And then we're going to just have a light breakfast. So come on out, ladies, especially if you believe in the power of prayer. I want to see you, okay? All right, amen. Thank you, Sherry. Congratulations, Sade. We were supposed to do that last week on Mother's Day, and Sade had to work. And so she surprised us, but we got her back. <laughs> she definitely looks surprised. Um, hey, I want to draw your attention before we get into the Word today. I want to draw your attention to the middle of your bulletin that you received this morning. I um, want to give you a final report on our missions giving. Um, held it off about a month, I guess. I, you know, I, I just, I get tired of bragging, but I'm not bragging about myself. I'm bragging about all of us, especially you. But concerning missions, last year we came in number 83rd. We're ranked number 83rd out of 13,000 Assembly Guide churches uh, in our missions giving. That's incredible. And um, you're not, I'm not good at math, but I did this on a calculator beforehand. We didn't just come in in the top 1% of churches in overall missions giving. It's actually something like 0.6%. It's really a very, very exclusive honor. So thank you for your generosity. And uh, in the Pennsylvania Delaware district, out of 380 churches roughly, uh, in per capita giving, we came in right behind a church that gave a monstrous amount. In fact, it's a church that hasn't always done this, but they gave 2.2 million last year to missions. And hey, we didn't do, but they're a lot bigger than we are too. But we did, we did over 425,000 emissions. So God bless you and thank you. Thank you for your giving. <clears throat> Amen. Really appreciate you. That's something we've always done. We've been in the top 100 churches forever, it seems, and many years in the top 50 churches. If you can imagine this. And we have churches that are, you know, 20,000 people. And we're, we're, we're there with them. We're doing something around the world. So thank you again. Well, listen, this morning we're going to be looking at the sixth church in the book of Revelation, the church at Philadelphia. And I want us to begin this morning by reading from Revelation chapter 3. We're going to begin at verse 7. Revelation chapter 3, verse 7. And this is Jesus speaking. To the angel of the church in Philadelphia write, These are the words of him who is holy and true, who holds the key of David. What he opens, no one can shut, and what he shuts, no one can open. I know your deeds. See, I have placed before you an open door that no one can shut. I know that you have little strength, yet you have kept my word and have not denied my name. I will make those who are the synagogue of Satan, who claim to be Jews, though they are not, but are liars. I will make them come and fall down at your feet and acknowledge that I have loved you. 
Since you've kept my command to endure patiently, I will also keep you from the hour of tribulation, that is, hour of trial that is going to come on the whole world to test the inhabitants of the earth. I am coming soon. Hold on to what you have so that no one will take your crown. The one who is victorious, I will make a pillar in the temple of my God. Never again will they leave it. I will write on them the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which is coming down out of heaven from, God, from my God. And I will also write on them my new name. Whoever has ears, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Father God, we thank you, Lord, for your word, for your eternal word. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my word will endure forever. Your word declares that. And Lord, I pray, God, that your word would find a place in our hearts this morning. Lord, give us understanding concerning this message to this ancient church and how it would apply to us today. And we ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Now, you know, the very first verse poses quite an interesting question. And the question is this, why does Jesus describe himself as him who is holy and true, and who holds the key of David? And of course, we can easily, any one of us could answer the first part of that question, the first part of that verse, because we know Jesus, we know him, and we know that he's holy and true. Amen? He says, I am holy and true. He is holy and true. And he's holy because he's completely separate from sin. Perfectly pure. And secondly, he's true in that he is genuine and authentic. And if you have a relationship with him, you know that. You know that he is authentic. He is who he said he is. He's forever faithful. He never changes. There's no shifting of shadows the Bible talks about. He is authentic. He is genuine. And then there are even some New Testament verses that, that tell us repeatedly that he's holy and that he is the embodiment of truth. One of these is John 14, 6. Jesus said it himself. He said, I am the way and the truth. And the life. Jesus is the way and the truth and the life. He also mentioned how that following his ascension, he would send another comforter, another one just like him, who is the Holy Spirit, who would be able to lead us and guide us into all truth. So obviously, Jesus is holy and true. But what is the key of David? What is that talking about specifically? And, and, and I want you to know, it's first mentioned in Isaiah, the 22nd chapter, verse 20, 21, and 22. And I want us to look at this. Isaiah 22, verse 20. It says, In that day, I will summon my servant, Eliakim, son of Hilkiah. I will clothe him with your robe and fashion your, fasten your sash around him and hand your authority over to him. He will be a father to those who live in Jerusalem and to the people of Judah. I will place on his shoulder the key to the house of David. And what he opens, no one can shut. And what he shuts, no one can open. Doesn't that sound an awful lot like what we just read in the book of Revelation? And so back here in this Old Testament reference, Eliakim was given full authority as palace administrator to allow people in and out of the house of David. No one but the king himself could overrule that authority. And so in this passage in Revelation, Jesus is announcing himself to be the doorkeeper. Meaning very simply that no one can enter God's eternal palace except through him. He holds the key. Jesus has all authority. Listen to me. He has all authority concerning who is allowed into heaven for all eternity. 
Now, we know that. I know it doesn't sound very profound, but I want to emphasize that. And Jesus stated it this way, again, in that chapter, that 14th chapter of John, the 6th verse, again, he said it this way, Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and the life. I read that to you just a moment ago. Then he says, in the rest of that verse, he says, no one, no one comes to the Father except through me. He is the doorkeeper. And by the way, we also see this theme in the 10th chapter of John's gospel. In John chapter 10, verse 7, listen, listen, it says, Therefore Jesus said again, Very truly I tell you, I am the gate for the sheep. He's the key of David, but in the, but in the New Testament, he is the gate for the sheep. All who have come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep have not listened to them. Then he says again, I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. They will come out and go. They will come in and go out and find pasture. And I know I've shared this before, probably in a Sunday sermon or maybe a Wednesday night Bible study over the years, but, but I want to make sure that you have a better understanding of what those verses mean when it paints a picture of a sheep pen. And can we have that photo? In New Testament times, it was that simple. That was a sheep pen out in the wilderness. The people were nomadic. And a sheep pen was simply an area that was designated by, by stones, just rough stones, piled upon one another, just crudely thrown together to secure an area for the sheep at nighttime. And then usually on top of the final layer of, of that stone, shepherds would add sticks and branches and briars, raise it up a little bit more, a little less work. And I'm telling you, if you've ever been to Israel, there's stones everywhere. There's no shortage of these. And so shepherds would set these up wherever they wanted to. They could be put up in a matter of a day. A sheep pen was just basically very crudely erected, a very simple structure. And the one feature, you know, if you, if you, if you were to look at sheep pens in Europe, and I remember going to Ireland once, I mean, they're there and, and, and they're different. They're different because they're constructed over time and they're not hastily put together like this. But the one thing that sets it, sets it apart in, when you travel around the wilderness in Israel is the shepherds would not bother to build a gate with hinges or a gate that was immovable in any way. Because a shepherd at night, out in that Judean wilderness, would become the gate. The shepherd would sleep in the opening of the sheep pen. No sheep would go out without his notice, and no predators could get in as long as he was there. And that's why Jesus refers to himself as the gate. That's why he refers to himself as the key of David. Because he's the only way into the fold. First, as Savior while we're here on this earth. And then he's the ultimate gate for getting into heaven. Does that make sense? Well, let's go ahead a little bit further into what we read. And, and as you probably noticed, as we learned about the previous five churches that Jesus is addressing in the book of Revelation. Each one, each one that we've looked at had some point of correction from the Lord. They're, they're doing some good things. Most of those five were doing some good things. But in each case, each of the other five churches are falling short and they're in need of correction. But today's church, the church of Philadelphia is different. I don't know if you can remember how I started a couple weeks ago with Thyatira preaching. It was like, I didn't even want to address that church. I'm tired. I didn't want to talk about that church. They just, they just had so many problems, so many issues. And today, I'm elated. Philadelphia is a great church. It really is. A, it's not a great city, but it is a great church. It is a great church. 
But this is the only church, this is the only church in the book of Revelation where Jesus doesn't mention any sin or any problem on their behalf. Isn't that great? He commends them and he commends them for their potential, for their faithfulness and their potential. Verse 8 mentioned how that they had little strength. He said, you have little strength. And he probably was talking about their temporal strength. Their temporal power, their political influence, if you will. This church was not a large church. And yet Jesus implies that they can still have a large influence. And I'm going to tell you, in many ways, you know, just I mentioned our missions record for last year. We're, we're, not, we're not a big church among the assemblies of God. But we give big to missions. We have a tremendous influence around the world. And on a consistent basis. Again, I, you know, if we boast, we boast in the Lord. That's what Paul said. And I think once a year, we need to at least acknowledge that fact. That we're doing more than we've been called to do. But anyways, back to the Philadelphian church. The city of Philadelphia lay on a frontier of culture. It was considered the gateway to Central Asia Minor. It was a place of passage for traders and merchants and armies moving east to west. And beyond Philadelphia lay half the nation of Turkey. They were in the frontier border, one of the most distant outposts of Christianity in that time. And, and you know, the church of Philadelphia, again, is, 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 it's a direct contrast to the church of Thyatira. And I mention this because Thyatira, if you can remember a couple weeks ago, week before Mother's Day, it was a church that was exciting. They had a lot going on. It was fun, but they had a big problem with sin. They had a major problem with sin. And Philadelphia, as you're going to discover this morning, is just the opposite. It wasn't thriving with numbers. It didn't have a load of programs and ministries. It was small, but it was pure. And in many ways, it was like the average church in America today. Very basic. Meeting basic needs. Not a lot of excitement, not a lot of glamour and hype, but just a place where people could get saved and fed. No flash, no big name ministries, no self-promotion. Just down-to-earth ministry. And like every average church, the Philadelphia church had great potential. Had great possibilities. Jesus knew their geographic location. And he reminds them how strategic it was. He tells them, I have placed before you an open door. I've placed before you an open door. And those I've given you, I am giving you the opportunity to evangelize, to advance the kingdom of God, to enlarge the church. And like many churches in America, you know, people do get saved. They get added to the congregation. But, you know, some, some congregations like ours have this steady flow of people. And the church in Philadelphia is that way. Again, Philadelphia is the kind of place that you pass through. And I believe their open door was, I believe that their open door was open to the, not, the unbeliever coming in, somehow getting saved while they're in Philadelphia, and then moving on. As I told you, it was, it was along a trade route where armies would march through. And I just have to believe that some of those that were coming through got saved. They never stayed in the church because their job was on the road. But they got saved. This church had influence on those who were passing through. I know you have little strength, Jesus says, but you have great potential. You have little strength, but you have great potential. And you know what Jesus is describing here is the reality of the majority of most churches in our country today. This church of Philadelphia describes every church in America today. I really believe that. 
You know, Pastor Hans and I meet regularly with the home missions pastors here in Delaware. And we listen to them. And we try to provide a little counsel and some encouragement, some advice. And, and one of the things that we started to do when we first began meeting with them was to correct their language. Correct their perception concerning their own churches and their ministries. And, and what I mean by this is that every so often in conversation, just casual conversation about what this pastor, or that pastor might be doing in their church. And then we'd give them some suggestions. Inevitably, they would always describe their church. They would talk about their church as being a small church. And I'll tell you, that bothered me. And we corrected them. I mean, we, immediately we corrected them. These churches who have anywhere from 25 people to 100 people on a Sunday morning. Actually, let me, let me be a little more precise. One church has 12 people, average attendance, every Sunday. The largest church we meet with has 80 people on average every Sunday. So forget the 25 to 100. And what we're trying to make clear to them is that even with 12 people, they don't have a small church. They have an average church. We want to correct their language because of the fact of the matter is, statistically, 80% of churches in the United States of America, 80%, all denominations included, every denomination, Presbyterian, Methodist, Lutheran, add them all together, 80% of, of all churches in America average 80 people in weekly attendance. That's the average. Been that way for a long time. The abnormal, the anomaly of churches in our nation are known as megachurches. How many have heard the phrase megachurches? Less than 2% of churches in our nation are 2,000 people or more on a Sunday morning. And so, you know what? We've, 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 I think we've taught these pastors of smaller churches, not small, but smaller churches, average churches. I think we've taught them to stop apologizing about the size of their church. That doesn't mean that they can't grow numerically. Doesn't mean that, mean that we can't continue to grow because as we see here in this passage, Jesus makes it clear that every church has potential. Every church has the potential to grow by winning souls to Christ and getting involved in the harvest process. Every church has potential. And I say that because a real danger for us is to think that we do not have influence as individuals. That's what Jesus is telling his church in Philadelphia. Jesus admits you have little strength. You're small. Or maybe average for their time. But you can still have an impact. Many people feel as though, you know, one person just can't make that much of a difference. And you know that's faulty thinking. That's just wrong. Because you know what? Evangelism is always done one-on-one. -on -one. There is no such thing as mass evangelism. You can have a big rally, but someone has to pray with that other person for salvation. Amen? Evangelism is always done one-on-one. -on -one. And to me, that's enough proof that one person can have influence and it validates the power of one. Just one. And, but then you take the influence of that one and add it to the influence of another one and another one and another one, and, and, and it happens faster. That's all. That's all. You get more salvations when more people are witnessing. 
When more people are telling others about Jesus. When more people are praying the sinner's prayer with more people. You see, verse 8 tells us that this church was a faithful church. We read that. They were faithful to God's word. They had a good reputation. And what I hear Jesus telling them is that they have been good stewards with what he's given to them. And that because they've been faithful with a few things, they're going to be trusted with even greater things. And we know that to be the law of stewardship. Amen? Out of the scriptures. And I fully believe that principle applies to our church as well. Folks, we have some incredible ministries here in this church. Top quality ministries. Royal Rangers, girls ministries. These are, I mean, these are great things. And we're doing it right. Our kids church, our junior kids church, our nursery. These are great places for our children. And I honestly can say without any bias that the ministries of Praise Assembly are all good, good quality. We have nothing to be ashamed of. No apologies needed. Well, let's go on to verses 9 through 13 in that chapter in Revelation, verse 9 through 13. Reading it again. I will make those who are the synagogue of Satan, who claim to be Jews or they're not, but are liars, I will make them come and fall down at your feet and acknowledge that I have loved you. Since you've kept my command to endure patiently, I'll also keep you from the hour of trial that's going to come on the entire world to test the inhabitants of the earth. I'm coming soon. Hold on to what you have so that no one will take your crown. The one who is victorious, I'll make a pillar in the temple of my God and never again will they leave it. I'll write on them the name of my God, the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which is coming down out of heaven from God. And I will also write on them my new name. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. And this is where everything gets very interesting. As we've already established, this Philadelphian church is small. It has little strength. Great potential, but it's still small. And in spite of all that, like, like every other church, like all churches, they have an enemy. They have an enemy. You do too. Satan is working against this church. He's working against God and his, he, he cannot, he cannot, he cannot confront God face to face. There's no way God will eventually crush him. Please understand Satan is defeated but not yet destroyed. That's why he can mess with you and me. But we have authority over him. But he can still mess with us. Please understand that. Until he's finally destroyed, he's going to continue to work against the church. But thank God for his promises. Well before this book of Revelation came to be, Jesus promised that the gates of hell would never prevail against his church. The gates of hell will never prevail against his church. He also, through the same apostle that, that wrote that down, the apostle John, he also stated that greater is he that, who's living in you and me than he that is in this world. I hope that means something to you. So it doesn't ever matter what our size might be or whether we feel strong or not. You know how some days you do feel good? And other days, you may not be quite so confident, whether it be in the workplace or in some spiritual contest, maybe a physical ailment. doesn't matter what it is. You really cannot live the Christian life based on feelings. So whether you feel strong or not, you need to remember that every battle is the Lord's. 
Just as he continually went to battle for the Israelites, he fights our battles as well. And of course, in verse 10, he promised to keep them. He said, I'll keep you. He's going to keep those who are part of the church of Philadelphia, which means he's going to protect them from the evil that is yet to come. And what that tells us, and it's a good reminder for us, is that Christians are not exempt from problems. I think I already implied that. We're not exempt from problems. We don't live in a bubble. We're not exempt from hardship or struggles or conflict or an attack from the enemy. But at the same time, we also, we also need to endeavor to maintain our position as being more than conquerors. Listen to exactly how the Apostle Paul stated this truth in Romans chapter 8. He said, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword as it is written? For your sake, we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. Verse 37, no, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. You see, that's not based on feeling. That's fact. It's written in God's word. We are more than conquerors through him, through Jesus, who loved us. And he proved his love by dying on a cross for us. So although we've never been called to live in a bubble, we will always have the victory. So we see in these verses, Jesus predicts trouble for the Philadelphia church as well as growth for the Philadelphia church. Verse 9, I will make your enemies fall down at your feet. What a promise. I will also keep you from the trial that is coming. I will keep you from maximum affliction in verse 10. In verse 12, I will make you a pillar in the temple of my God. And you see, this symbolism that Jesus is using as he addresses this church through John, they understand it. These Philadelphians understand it. You know, Philadelphia was located in an area that was prone to earthquakes. They understood what this meant. The people of the city were accustomed to having to run out of buildings and collapsing walls and heading out into open country whenever there was a tremor. Verse 12 had specific, special meaning to these Christians. They knew what it meant to be a pillar. And here, a pillar that would not be shaken by the tremors of persecution or affliction. Because it's coming. Jesus said it's coming, but I will spare you from maximum affliction. And you see the second part of verse 12? He said, never again will he leave it. Never again will you have to run. You don't have to run from problems. You don't have to run from the earthquakes, the tremors of life. Never again would the Philadelphian believer leave in fear of the ground shaking under his feet because the believer's trust would be in Christ, which means your firm footing is on a solid rock. Solid rock. We don't build on sand. And then in verse 12, Jesus said, I will write on him my new name. And I, I, I don't want to go off on a tangent. This would be a whole other sermon in itself. But names are very important in Scripture. I think most of you kind of know that. Names have meanings. Anybody here have a son named Ichabod? Okay, that's not a good name. It means the glory of God has departed. You don't want to, don't, uh, But there's so many other wonderful names. But in verse 12, Jesus says, I will write on him my new name. And again, they understood exactly what Jesus meant by this. Because you see, their city, Philadelphia, had had a name change at one point. They were once called Neo-Caesarea. But now their name had been changed back to Philadelphia. And finally, true to the word, 
I want you to know that this church was faithful to the end. It was a faithful church. History tells us that the church of Philadelphia existed as an island of Christianity surrounded by Muslim Turks until the 14th century. You know, here we are looking at the first century. But they stood faithful to the gospel until the 14th century. And I would add this, you know, of all these seven churches, all these churches listed here in the book of Revelation, if you couldn't tell already, I would probably want to be a member of that church. Like I'm a member of this church. Because they are a solid, average church. They're solid. They were a faithful group of believers. Fellowship is a trait that has to be commended. And Jesus commends them. Another way that he said it in the Gospels, and I believe he could have said it to them here, or maybe he did say it and didn't say it the same way. But I want every one of us to hear it someday. And what a joy it'll be to hear the master say, well done, good and faithful servant. Amen? Those are, that's what we want to hear. Let's pray together. Father God, I just thank you, Lord, for this spectacular church in ancient Philadelphia. A faithful church. Desiring to be pure and holy as you are. Lord, how much, how much they, they endured for centuries as an outpost of the gospel in central Turkey. And God, you used them in spite of their size. They were, they were of little strength, but you gave them great opportunity. And Lord, I pray, God, that we would remember that we can do that too, that we as individuals can have an incredible impact. Lord, never, Lord, help us never, never to trust how we feel about our spiritual strength. Because it can never accurately be mentioned, uh, measured by our feelings about it. Lord, help us never to look down on the influence of just one. How much one person can do with God. Lord, help us never to think of what's going on in your kingdom as being small. Because although 80% of all churches in our nation might be 80 people or less, there's a lot of churches in our nation. And there's a lot of believers in this nation. And there's a lot of Christians all around the world. The job isn't done yet. But Lord, you could come home. You could come and get us and bring us home at any moment. And Lord, I pray that we just be found faithful. Would you stand with me? I want us to pray together. Just, just pray that God would use us. I want this to be our altar time right now. Just, just where you're standing. If you want to come to the altar, you can. But I'm not going to officially urge you that way this morning. But just... Just that we would say, God, use us. Lord, use us right now. Lord, help us to realize that we can have an impact, that you are the one who brings conviction. It's your empowerment that converts the heart of the human soul. 
It isn't by wise and persuasive words, as Paul said. It isn't something that we do. It isn't our tactics or our strategy. Lord, men and women, boys and girls are converted. They're brought into your kingdom by what your spirit does. Lord, I pray that we'd be your voice. I pray that we'd be your mouthpiece. I pray that we would be willing to be a testimony, to be a witness to what you've done in our own lives. Lord, that we try to our very best to get close to you and keep our character pure. Lord, we realize that no one can come to the Father but through you. No one can come to the Father but through you. And Lord, we do pray, God, that there, God, I pray there be a mass harvest, that there be a great harvest of souls in our lifetime. Lord, because we believe just as you spoke to this Philadelphia church, that we have little strength in and of ourselves. But we have great privilege. We have great opportunity. We have great potential. And Lord, I believe that. God, I believe that. Help every one of us, I pray, to believe that as well. Lord, that you will use your church in these last days to reach the lost. Lord, that you'd empower us and that we would simply go with your flow. Lord, that we'd sense your power and that we'd walk in it. Hallelujah, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, God. Thank you, Lord. Hallelujah, Jesus. Thank you, Master. Hallelujah, Lord. Praise you, God. Hallelujah. Let me pray for you and then we'll leave. Father, I thank you, Lord, for each and every one here today. Lord, I thank you for this beautiful church in the book of Revelation. I thank you for this beautiful church called Praise Assembly, this local body, Lord, that you've called us all together. And Lord, that we are fulfilling your purpose. And I pray, God, that, that somehow in the days ahead we do even more to honor you, to honor you for the sake of the lost and to bring glory to you. And Lord, now I pray your blessing as we leave this place, your blessing in our lives, use us for your purpose and your glory in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 God bless you.